Welcome back to the Golf Drifter podcast. It's week two of 2022, all the twos. Uh, great first week back. Uh, thank you all listeners for tuning back in. Always had a blast. Some good feedback uh, for some of the new segments. So, hey, we're back to give it a second go for the year and uh, hopefully we'll improve. But uh, look, as always, thank you to my good friends, Vaughan and Grant. Um, it wouldn't be a uh, three-man golf podcast without three guys. So I guess uh, you guys have to come back until I find someone better. So uh, with that being said, how was your golf week? Hey, boys. Yep. Yep. Good week. Played a couple of rounds. It was nice to see a bit of golf back on uh, on the TV, which was which was refreshing. And my boy, Keith Mitchell, again, just paying, paying my mortgage week after week on the PGA Tour. Another top 10. Love Keith Mitchell. I'll, uh, I will discuss our boys. We'll be talking about uh, outsiders, but I'll just say there's a new boy in golf that you've got to follow, and that's Jediah Morgan. I'm having trouble pronouncing his name, but Jediah Morgan. We'll talk about him later on, but uh, he's the new boy. Now, um, Grant, who had, a, uh, who had a better week, you or Novak Djokovic? Well, I had a pretty good week uh, as far as the golf tipping uh, was concerned, because I think I had some, uh, I had Hideki leading the charge in my team for the the FedEx Cup points. Um, had a hot round on last Wednesday, hot as in it was about 29 degrees. The golf itself was complete shit again, um, but it was hot, yeah. Um, no golf on the weekend, which was probably quite a good result. Um, as for Novak, well, what an absolute joke. Um, finally came to the right decision, um, kicking out of the country. It's just so simple, isn't it? If you want to play, get a jab. If you don't want to play, if you don't get a jab, don't bother turning up. I just, you know, what a fast for it to go this long, really, to the day it of the is, tournament. It is hard. I mean, I show no sympathy for him. He's an idiot who should have known better. However, it's been handled badly on all accounts. I mean, it's just a horrendous joke from start to finish. And um, the fact that it took until, what, the, the last hour, basically, to pull the guy out of the tournament. I mean, his lack of, of awareness about what people were thinking is crazy. And maybe it's what makes him a great athlete. I'm not sure the fact that he's just so singularly focused, but yeah, just a, a mess from start to finish. And I think uh, many sports and, and hopefully many countries learn now that just have a rule, follow it, deal with the consequences, but don't get stuck yeah. in no man's land. Um, Tennis Australia have come out of this looking really bad. Uh, up until now, I've always thought they've been an organisation that's handled themselves pretty well and, and, have, and have always seemed to be on the right side of the ledger as far as PR was concerned, but they've really seemed to have come out of this quite poorly. Um, it, it's obviously well, obvious to me anyway that, I mean, they were desperate to keep him there, uh, no matter what, but purely for the dollars that it was going Does to that be. surprise you guys that, that he's... I mean, I guess with Federer gone, and I mean, you know, I guess they're lacking one, one superstar, but does it surprise you about how much they fought to get him there? Like, I didn't realise he was that important to the overall kind of bottom line but I assume that's what it's about that's the only thing it's the only thing it can be about surely at this point um I, I I'm no one's come out of, out of this looking well the government hasn't looked good the Australian Open which I have to say having been to many a sporting event might be the best organized event I've ever been to ever in my life they look terrible Novak looks like an absolute tool and uh, no, the only pe- person that's a winner of this is whoever goes on to win the event that's literally the only person that's going to come out a winner from this. Just an all-round debacle. But if he had, if Novak had just taken the high ground after um, the last ruling and said, "No, nah, you did right. I'm, 
I'm just going to walk away. He could have taken the high ground and come out of this still smelling quite well. But the fact he fought on, he just fought on one too many times and he, there's just no way he can look good out of this. No did way. He ha- did he have COVID at the end of December? I don't think he, it was a chance he had COVID. Who knows? Who knows? I don't, I don't know. But here's my, to relate it back to golf, if it was your old mate Tiger Woods who had done this, would you still consider him to be the greatest golfer of all time? Um... Does this diminish from Novak Djokovic's legacy? Because he's probably going to get, let's just say he goes and wins one more. Is he the greatest tennis player of all time? If this happened to Tiger, would you drop him as your GOAT? Well, it's an interesting question because I think, Pete, that the verdict on on Novak is in terms of people's perspective on him has always been that he sort of, he hasn't quite had that admiration, right? He hasn't quite had it. He hasn't had it in spades. So the question is, do I think he's weirder than he once was? Probably no. It just almost proves in my head what I always thought was right. So I'd argue he hasn't diminished too much in my mind. Whereas Tiger, I feel like he's he's been bad for himself, but he probably hasn't come out and necessarily created others much pain. Um, well, I think that's where Novak's got all, got us all wrong with COVID. So yeah, I probably would say I'd, I'd think less of Tiger if he did the similar thing, because I think this this impacts others much more than you know, dare I say it, cheating with your wife, which you could probably fairly say impacts her, um, or, uh, you know, driving off a cliff or whatever it is. I feel like Tiger's always kind of been his own worst enemy, but this this is bigger. Yep. This is your impact on society. Yep. And I think that when you're talking, when we're, everyone's having these discussions, it doesn't matter what sport it's in, the simple days of who's won the most titles or who's won the most championships or, like, that's not a metric that necessarily works anymore. Like, your impact on society matters now. Like, probably didn't matter 30, 40 years ago. Not to the same level. Everything you do is scrutinised now to the nth degree. And that is part of your overall legacy, whether you like it or not. Which is actually, interesting enough, been one of my arguments as to why I believe that Tiger is the GOAT, because his legacy is greater on golf. Yep. Yep, Totally. And you, I, I would completely agree with you if he hadn't come out as a young man and said that his only goal in life was to beat Jack Nicholas's record, which he failed to do. So he's numero two, baby. Numero well, yeah, two. He hasn't failed yet. It, it's like the last oh, come on. Give it up, man. Give it up. Come on. <laughs> Stephen Elka is going to win more majors than Tiger Woods. There's a bet for you. Might not be... Actual majors might be senior majors, but he's going to win more majors than Tiger. Well, we've had this debate already. We won't we won't bring it up. Tiger Woods will he'll compete and do something that'll be memorable. I, I, I'm not necessarily going to stake my house on him winning a major, but he's not finished. There's, there's more in the Tiger Woods story to be written. I, I do believe that. I think what um, this shows overall is, um, and I, I should have I should have known better because I'm generally pretty cynical, but. I think it just shows that the effect that COVID has had on sport, and and it's stripped it's stripped away the romanticism of it to show what yeah. what is really under it, which is just the naked greed to a certain extent, or the, the naked need for them to be generating dollars. And you see it in in tennis Australia's reaction and fighting to keep Djokovic there. You've seen it in other sports where they've they've just gone on and on and on and and almost blindly carried on long after they really should have sort of shut things down. Um, the Premier League are going through it again at the moment and, and have got 
COVID, COVID rules in place that allow teams to ask for postponement if they've had a certain number of players out of their squads and teams are now, have now just used that to, to as a, a, a cover all to, to basically postpone games pretty much whenever they like for any reason, um, whether it be injury players off representing their country or whatever. So it's just, it, it's sad, but it's it's become like the catch-all now for, for all the bad things that we, that we try and pretend out there in sport. Yep. Yeah, well, certainly people are using COVID for, I mean, you bring up a good example. I'm sure teams are getting two or three people sick. They're probably saying we might as well get the whole team sick and get this over with kind of thing. So, no, it's it's a sad indictment. I mean, look, we, we've talked about COVID many a week on this thing, so we won't move, we won't go too deep. But clearly, you know, we, we've got to learn to live with this, which I suppose to me is a simple answer of get vaccinated and then live with it. But anyway, what more can we say? Hey, um, something else big that did drop this week that we haven't had a chance to talk about, and it is really, really relevant to what we talk about a lot on this podcast around the PGA Tour being more exciting, and, and we will get to the Sony Open soon, but... The Netflix doco on the back of some other pretty interesting Netflix docos. You know, they've been there for the uh, Formula One, for Jordan, etc. But the PGA Netflix doco, I want an early gut feeling. Is it going to be contrived rubbish or is it actually going to show us some things we haven't seen before? I can't wait for it. Um, I don't know about you guys, whether you've seen the F1 Yes. If it's anything, if it's anything like that from a viewing point of view, I think it'll be compelling. Um, what the, what the insiders will think of it is a, quite another story, and there's there's quite a story behind the F one uh, one, uh, particularly around the, the people within that industry who who tend to feel that that what you see on Netflix does not represent at all what actually goes on. That there's a heck of a lot of scripting and storylining and stuff. Um, but yeah, look, I mean, I think they've got a really interesting mix of, of golfers in there too, guys guys um, who don't appear to have a lot of character, but also other guys that, that you know are just going to jump out. So I'm, I'm really looking forward to it. Netflix has, I believe, negotiated effectively free rights. So there's mm-hmm. no one from the PGA Tour standing in their way from what I understand. So they, in theory, can create the storylines they want. They don't have to get editorial approval. So I believe from that perspective, we should expect to see a really good series. And they've got so many resources. They will have cameras with these guys, you know, I imagine 24-7 for the most part. So I think as long as the PGA Tour doesn't get in the way, I think it should be really interesting. And golf desperately needs it. I and mean, we've talked about the PGA Tour needing to be fresh and new and do things interesting. So that's probably as good an idea as any to sort of contract that out to a company like Netflix that clearly knows what they're doing. Yeah, I can, I'm the same as you guys. I completely applaud it. What's the worst that can happen? Um, I just want to see 24 hours a day of Harry Higgs. I think that, <laughs> that's, that's a show just by itself. I don't really care if anyone else uh, turns up on it. He is going to become he's going to become a superstar, uh, regardless of how his golf goes. That guy is going to be very, very entertaining. If no one has uh, checked out his social media pages, he is genuinely an interesting guy. He is, yeah, he's, he's fun. But, yeah, I think it'll be great. Um, will there be some contrived stuff? Of course there is. That's what you get with um, semi-reality or reality shows. But that's okay. You know what you're signing up for. Yeah, bring it on. Great stuff. Well, I think it's also timely because it, whilst we were on our break, the uh, well, the, the results from the 2021, the PIP leaked, that, that ridiculous setup that the PGA Tour came out with to uh, essentially reward you know, social media efforts and, and profile. And 
if you believe the leaked results, Phil Mickelson of all people won. And I'm not saying he doesn't have a great uh, social media presence, but I think Tiger came second. I mean, from what I can tell, that that was really a contrived way to give out bonuses to probably the 10 you know, highest profile guys on the tour, not necessarily the guys that create the best stories. I mean, the, the Homers, um, the Joel Damons, uh, you mentioned Harry Higgs, those sort of guys that are actually out there. I mean, none of them got any pit money. And, and ultimately, it sounds like it just went to guys like Dustin Johnson, who's actually boring as, as all hell from what I can tell. It just seemed like to me they were a little bit scared of of the of the Saudi Arabian situation. Just They couldn't just give people a bonus, which they probably should have just said, you you help us generate money, here's your bonus. Um, so they came out with this pit thing. But I, I don't know, I feel like you're right. Like the Harry Higgs and the Homers and the Damons and the Kisners, like these are the guys that yeah. we relate to. So hopefully, I'm not sure if you guys caught that pip stuff, but for me, that seems like just a contrived way to give money away. One of my favourites, um, Ian Poulter, was quite outspoken when those pit results came out because he, he according according to him, and, but uh, I don't have any reason to to um, to disagree or, or disbelieve him. He he was the most in, engaged uh, social media golfer from last year, and yeah, he he figured nowhere, got didn't get a cent. Um, so yeah, for he. It's pretty clear that it is there to reward loyalty, and I don't have a problem with that. But it is the hypocrisy of well, if, if that's the case, why not just come out and say that? You know? Well, you better to actually sign these guys up to long-term contracts. If that's what if you're trying to beat away yeah. the Saudis, you go well. Yep. Hey, Tiger, we'll sign you up to a ten-year contract mm-hmm. with ten million dollars a year, regardless if you play a tournament or not. Just not to go and sign with them. Mm-hmm. They just signed. Actually, have a appearance contract with the PGA Tour because that's yeah. it, that seems like it went to Ram Johnson. You know, all the big names. So it just seems yeah. like it was basically a contract to stay with us and not go and take your guaranteed money from the Saudi Arabians. Yep. I, mean, yep. I, I don't know how much social media Tiger actually does. Well, nothing. Um, it's very contrived. I don't think he's super, super active in it. Whatever no. is, I, I would very much doubt whether it's actually him doing it. But, I mean, isn't it ironic that the guy comes back for one tournament in the year and it's one where he's playing with his boy that's basically completely meaningless and yet... Apart from the four majors, it got the most viewership of any golf tournament of the year. So I mean, he well, doesn't think, need. Yeah. So he, he he can shift the needle. They don't. He doesn't need Pip. He doesn't need social media. He just needs to, to play, basically. Well, Pip. Yeah. No one. Yeah. No one's really sure of the way it was contrived. Right. It was designed as almost moving the needle was kind of the way they described it, which ultimately yeah. means they can just decide who who. I mean, the way I would ask is who would hurt most if they signed with the Saudi Arabians. That's probably the question they should have asked. Yep. And who would that be? That's, that's well, it would be Tiger, probably. A hundred percent Tiger. Yeah, it would be Phil. Yeah. I mean, Phil would be interesting because he'd drag others with him, but it would be John Rahm, it would be Dustin Johnson, it would be all those guys that got the pit money. It's not actually that they're that interesting on social media. Yeah. Yeah. The, the pip is essentially, the way I look at it, is it's the all-star game at the NBA. The best players don't get, get picked by the fans. It's the ones that are popular. And it's such a joke that Zaza Pachulia, a backup centre at the Golden State Warriors, and they changed the rules for this, the NBA, because everyone was just so sick of rubbish players getting picked. Um, and the whole country of Georgia decided that he was going to become an all-star starter. And they had to change the rules because basically the entire country voted like 100 times each, every single person in the country, and he was going to get in. This is exactly what Pip is. It's just contrived dribble, not necessarily the people that are making the actual impact on social media. It doesn't mean that that the big name shouldn't get the money. They probably should get the money as well because you need them. Um, But reward the guys that are actually out there putting in the hard yards. 
That's or just well, no, I think we're all agreeing. Essentially, just give these give the big names that would hurt you if they left a contract. Just sign them to yeah. a fixed price yeah. contract, which is actually what you're talking about. I mean, if because yep. the reality is, if Harry Higgs can't go to Saudi Arabia league and build a league around him, even though he'd be a great addition, he needs 20 other players. Whereas Phil Mickelson could build a league around him. You know, even if the secondary players are rubbish, you'd you'd sort of expect in five years' time there'd be a league there. So, you know, I. I yeah, it is what it is. But, uh, hey, full power to uh, Netflix. I don't think it's coming out to the end yeah. of this year, right? It's going to be a whole year away. But uh, something to look forward to. Hopefully we see a, a bit more uh, raw emotion from some of the younger men, which, once again, I'm going to bring up my uh, my wonder watch, Jediah Morgan. We'll talk about him in a second. But the young boys, that's what it's about. But, um, look, Sony Open this week. Um, we mentioned it's good to see golf back on TV. Once again, good to see golf on at a great time in New Zealand and uh, went all the way to a playoff yet again. Hideki, uh, I think one of the comments I did here today was if he could learn to putt, which he appears to be doing, he'd be, uh, he'd be a pretty tough player to beat this year. But uh, anything else that caught your guys' eye from the Sony Open? I sat and watched most of it this afternoon, actually, most of that final round. Um, Russell Henley in the front nine, six under, was just firing darts. It was just phenomenal. Um, and, yeah, just his iron play was fantastic. And got, a, got himself a five-shot lead. And then you could almost see him start to start to tighten up and he was starting to just try and find fairways and, and just basically stop playing the way he had been playing. And um, I mean, he didn't play poorly, but, but Matsuyama went the other way. He had nothing to lose and just started to attack and, and yeah, managed to kind of catch him on the final hole. And then I don't, I don't know if you saw that shot he played on the first, on the first oh, the three wood, the three wood. It's just unbelievable. Unbelievable. Yeah. So it was, a, it was a really good finish. Uh, and there were some other guys, Kisner and, um, Keith Mitchell and a few other guys who were up there. Um, Michael Thompson, I think it was, um, who, yeah, who, who had some good finishes as well. But, yeah, Henley on the front nine. If It's one of those things where if he had been coming from behind and was forced to keep playing that way, I think he probably would have maybe come through the pack. But he just couldn't handle the pressure of being in the lead, even when it's five shots, which is such a – that's such a golf thing, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, he's good, Matsuyama. Just the last tournament he won that was that tournament in Japan, and he won that tournament too with a laser three wood from a million miles out that he hit bloody close. He is a surgeon with that club. Good club to uh, be a surgeon with when you can hit a green yeah. on command. Hey, yeah, a couple of names to throw out you. Uh, throw at you, and he had a good first round. But How Tong Lee, he he seems to be appearing on more and more leaderboards. Is he a uh, I mean, he gets a lot of sponsor invites. He's not actually a PGA-carded athlete, but I, I'm assuming via his sort of Chinese links that he's probably can get into any tournament he wants, essentially, as a sponsor's invite. But uh, is he a player we think could, could step up? No. He, he was kind of the next big thing a couple of years ago, wasn't he? And he sort of... Um, I hadn't seen him around for a while. I, I saw a bit of him over the weekend. Um, he had a good major was, last year, didn't he? He had a very good major. I thought he was right in the mix at one of them. Hmm. I notice he's wearing eyeglasses now, so I don't know whether he's previously wore contacts or whether that's something that's kind of a new thing. But um, yeah, he, he he sort of flared up the leaderboard and then disappeared again. So um, I know I did see towards the end of the thing he needed he uh, made a couple of nice putts, but just missed out on on I think he needs to finish maybe top ten to get a start next week or something. So he's obviously struggling to kind of stay in touch. But um, yeah, I, he he doesn't look like a guy who's going to be there every week or that way. It's just interesting with the South Koreans and obviously the Japanese through um, Matsuyama, but the Chinese haven't seemed to have produced that sort of superstar yet. So, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I, you sort of expect that they 
they probably would with the amount of players playing the game there. Perhaps it just shows how many decades it takes to actually combine a good athlete with that golfing pedigree. So time to uh, time to watch. Now another question I had for you is: should that should the PGA Tour play at more shorter courses? You know, we've talked about this before that there's certain courses that, and Kevin Kisner is a classic example. We brought him up before. He talks very openly about the fact there's certain courses that he he's more likely to challenge and win at. Now, should the PGA Tour play at shorter courses? I mean, the long hitters can still take advantage of them, but the short hitters aren't out of the mix. Well, the answer, of course, is yes, absolutely. Um, it's a skill to keep the ball straight and in the fairway, and as it is to hit it 350 yards, it's, just, it's an amazing skill as well. So the answer is, of course they should, and it doesn't make any less... Good viewing, um, yeah. And whilst that wasn't the most exciting golf course they've ever played on the PGA Tour, what I do like about it is the mixture of people that are on the leaderboard there. There was bombers, there was short hitters. You, you go back over the history of um, the winners at the course, it's such a mixture. So that means just a good golf course because it doesn't matter what type of game you have. The answer is yes, of course you need to have some more short courses. Yeah, agree hundred percent. And and it's the risk reward factor too. Um, having guys having given guys the option of of playing safe or taking taking those risks on the shorter courses, uh, I think it makes for great watching. Um, but today again on on the eighteenth, um, Matsuyama needed that's a shot maker's course, and he 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 needed to make birdie on that last hole to try and get himself into the playoff. And it, I mean. He, he, he teed the ball up right behind the tee marker to get himself as far to one side as possible and, and had this tiny spot to aim at and just swung out of his shoes um, and hit this huge 350-yard draw around the corner. Um, you know, that, it's, it's not a long course, but you love to see things like that. You know, you love to see, you love to see that peril. Now, maybe it's a good time to actually segue into a little topic you were keen to break into this week, Grant, around... Uh, we talk about big hitters and, and, and bombers and we talk about smaller hitters and where I'm heading with this is equipment. Um, there's been a, a news story pop out this week. And I don't know if news is a correct term, probably an argument on social media, but uh, an argument between sort of some gearheads and, and some of the uh, the golf social media crew around is new equipment actually as, as good as the the, uh, the major brands tell us it is. So you might want to take us through the story, Grant, and I thought it was a good debate to, to have. Yeah, well, it's an interesting one. I, I'm a really keen follower of um, Rick Shields who, who uh, does a lot of equipment reviews and, and other stuff and he had done a review uh, a week or so ago of the new tailor-made stealth and he basically tested it against the sim and the sim 2 put the three of them in play on a GC quad I think it is um, inside and outside and kind of just basically was checking ball speeds and things and the conclusion he came to is basically it's good club, good club, it feels good to hit but there's no distinguishable difference for him between last year's model and this year's model and basically mm-hmm. from the hype that from the hype that um that there was for it he just couldn't quite understand why there wasn't more improvement um so that's created a bit of debate because as you say casey there's a couple of gearhead websites in the states um who have taken exception to that they they claim that they've they that they sort of have a team of different people who test they claim that their people have had massive improvements and have kind of Accused him of, of, of basically hitting five or ten balls on on a, on on YouTube and making in a, making a uh, a judgment. He he um, kind of 
denies that and, and basically said, you know, he, he hits as many balls as everybody else, but obviously it's not good content to, to put an hour, put up an hour of, of him changing shafts and, and, and that sort of thing. You know, you, you get the you get the edited highlights, which is which is kind of fair too. So there's there, but there's definitely a, a, an argument there as to whether you're actually getting the amount of um, improvement that that you promised by the TaylorMades and the Callaways of this world. And, I, and I'm sure we would agree. If we go along, we're not taking. Do we make three out of the five swing, three out of five swings the same each time? And if and if not, then how can we tell whether we're, whether the driver that we're buying is actually any good or not? You know? Whether it actually suits our game, and we're going to get the, the, the promised improvement. I'm. I feel really conflicted by this argument because on one level, I think you know, the equipment manufacturers as a business need to be able to produce better equipment every year. I'm also yeah, just because they sponsor so much of the sport, and I guess it's important for for the money side of it. But also, I think, in some ways, if they could actually produce a club that gets better by five or ten yards each year, like, hey, that's actually crazy because golf courses can't defend it. But what actually worries me is the average golfer cannot afford to buy a new driver every year, a new $1,500 driver or whatever it is in New Zealand, $2,000 driver. And it's such a disadvantage. If that's actually true, that each year's driver is 10 yards better like it's crazy it's actually not about how good a golfer you are it's how big your wallet is to be able to afford the next club which i don't like so um no i, I i'm conflicted I'm, I'm i'm convinced that there probably are techn technology improvements that come with each club but also to dial that in probably does take a really good golfer to get all those factors the shafts and the lies and the angles and everything and because we're amateurs on any given day our testing probably isn't consistent enough so I mean, I suppose there are there are step changes in equipment. You know, we go through from from woods to metal woods, and I know this driver in particular are talking about the carbon wood. So it is conceivable there's a massive step change, but I would actually say that most improvements in clubs are actually microscopic because, put simply, if they were that big, if this club was that good, every player, whether tailor made or not, would be screaming out to go and get it. Yeah, if there was that level of percentage change year on year on year then over the course of 10 years, the difference would be astronomical and the difference isn't astronomical. So I think the truth probably lies somewhere murkily in the middle of, of both of them. And look, all, all I can relate it to is, well, myself, if I went to the local um, to the local golf warehouse or whatever facility I decided I wanted to buy a new club at, I would go there and to be honest, I'm, if I hit the ball good in the first three times I was there, that'd be enough. I'd be like, oh, yeah, this, this looks pretty good. I'm happy with that. And I'd go on. I don't really know if there's been a massive change or not. It's just at that particular time, it felt really good. So let's go with that. And so how can you be 100% sure? I don't know. Um, I give credit to all the um, – I give credit to the marketing companies that, that drive some of these golf places. Like their marketing is slick and – Full respect for it, but yeah, yeah, tough, tough, tough to 100%. There was an interesting kind of debate within that, within that Rick Shields thing, and that there were two, two very distinct schools of thought, too, about how you should judge these things. So, there was the school of thought that you take along the driver you're using at the moment and you compare that to, say, the tailor made stealth and, and see what the difference is. Whereas he, he was looking at last year's model, the Sim 2 versus the stealth. And he's saying there's, there's not much difference. Now, if you go along with a 10-year-old ping uh, and, and then and use the tensor, the, the chances are you're probably going to find a 10, 15, you might even find a 20% difference. So Agreed. that's that's different again, you know. And I, I guess the other thing is 
what it what it probably does is show the importance of actually getting yourself properly fitted for these things, getting getting finding someone who will put you on a machine so they can tell you, okay, well, you, you hit your current driver X, Y, and you, you're going to hit this one this amount, you know, because really otherwise you are just kind of kissing in the wind, aren't you? I, um, it's, it makes me laugh, and, and you guys, I've told this story on the podcast before, how I've bro- broken drivers <laughs> when I've gone to test them at the store, but I can't do fittings because I don't know how to swing at fittings. Like, the last two times I've been in for fittings, for my driver, I literally broke two drivers in the store by hitting the shaft, like, of where the, like, the hosel was. I mean, how do you do that with a driver? And I broke three in a week, as you guys know, my own and two demos. Um, terrible story, but thankfully they still didn't charge me. Um, and then subsequently, when I went in to buy my irons last time, I developed the shank during the, the testing. Like, I don't know how to test because I can't, I don't know what swing to make. Because, I mean, A, the guy in the store was trying to coach me during testing, which wasn't necessarily a great time, but I find it really hard. And this is probably the thing with amateurs, and Vaughn, you said it, like, what swing do we bring on any given day? Oh, it's, it's so true. And that's why I say, if I go there and I, I hit three shots that look semi-decent. I'm, I've convinced myself that, that, that it's, gonna, it's good enough and I don't need to hit 150 golf balls to see if I've made 10%. Like, if it feels good, go with it. So, yeah. So, so, so honesty, honesty time then. Casey, you've said you're going to buy some new irons. Vaughan, you mentioned that you were thinking about it too. What is it that's going to make the decision for you then? Is it is it how they feel on the day when you hit them at the shop, or is it looking on TV and thinking, well, Phil uses those, or DJ uses those, or Tiger uses those? What what's going to make the decision for you in the end? Very well, good I, question. No, it's a good question. I when you go, but I've got some thoughts on this. I talked about this during the week with uh, a friend playing golf. My answer is disgraceful. Um, it's going to be one day where I just play so fucking terrible i just can't use my clubs anymore and i will drive straight from the golf course to um to the local golf shop and i will make the decision quite literally there on the spot because i can take no more uh what will be the deciding factor uh honestly just what feels good like i I, i'm not particularly loyal to, to any particular brand just what feels good at the time and makes me think that I could go back out and drive back to the golf course and play a hell of a lot better than I just did 20 minutes ago. And it, for me, it's that simple. I mean, obviously, uh, we'll all take the um, the manufacturer that wants to sponsor the podcast first. We'll happily... Oh, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. Um, yep. Until that happens, which hopefully will be very soon, obviously, um, until that happens, uh, I'm probably... I want to fall in love with this club. That's why I bought the driver I like over Titleist the D3 and it was good. I went into the store, I fell in love with it. And it probably was after a similar form said I had a terrible day. I was like, I've got to do something about it. That was a problem with my last, the two times I've been in to get irons fitted. I've kind of, I think I went through some tight lists and some Mizunos and they all kind of registered okay results and stuff. But when the guy was putting the, the invoice in front of me and it was you know, $300 a club or something. So we're talking $2,700 or something. I was just like, I'm not in love with these clubs. Like I, I don't, I'm not looking forward. I'm not feeling that excitement that I need that I can't wait for these things to be made and be in my bag. And I'm like, that's, that's what I need to feel. I want new irons. I, my irons are actually quite old now. I've got some nice set of pings, but they're, they're old now. I do actually need new technology. I'm sure my clubs are part, probably are in that 10 year old category, but I just want to be in love with them. That's, that's how I want to describe it. Like when I test them, I almost don't want the machine to tell me I'm hitting them better. I want to feel like I'm hitting them better. And it's the problem with the machine. Like, I just want to know. I just go, yep, these are them. 
I have a problem when I go into test that I use um, oversized grips. As you would know, Grant, my bag, like I've got a decent sized hand, so I have an oversized golf grip. And uh, it's interesting because the pros I've worked with over my life, I've had two that have like put bigger grips on my club and one that took them off. So who bloody knows who's right? But anyway, the last guy put them on, so we'll go with that. Um, so when I go to test irons, they're never with the right grip. They're like with a regulation grip, which is another problem I have because I feel like I'm not, I'm not holding a club like I want to. So I find it difficult as a short answer. And, and as given I've broken clubs and developed a shank and store on my last trips, I don't know what's going to drive me in there again. But probably like Vaughan says, one day in desperation, maybe winter. Well, for me, if I'm 100% honest, it'll be what's available. Because as a left-hander, you walk into the shop and you start, you'll, you'll look around at stuff and one of the salespeople come up to you and say, hey, what are you looking at today? And you say, oh, a pair of iron, set of irons. And they'll say, oh, well, we've got this, this and this. And I said, oh, I'm left-hander. And they kind of look at you in shock as if to say, oh, really? Do left-handers play golf? And then it's, a, then it's a case of, oh, hang on, I'll see what we've got out the back. You know, it's sad to say that's really what it's like. Um, uh, so I've probably, I think I've had owned three sets of irons in my life. Um, the second, the second pair I got, Casey was that was the ones I really did fall in love with, and that was a pair of set of Ping G twos when they first came out, and um, had to order them and got them in from the states. Had a had a mate who had a contact over there, and and we both ordered a set. And yeah, man, the day that box arrived from Kansas City or wherever it was. Um, and I unboxed them was like all my Christmases come at once. And I was in love with those irons from the day I got them because just because they were so damn hard to get hold of, you know? Nice. Yeah. It's an important feeling. Like, I mean, they're not cheap. I mean, obviously you can buy clubs at any different price level, but I mean, I think even an average set of irons and what's that probably four and down through pitching wedge is going to be $1,300. $1, so by the time you buy, you know, probably a middle, you know, 2,500, then you can get obviously up to about five. So yeah, you want to love them. I mean, and, and, I think you should feel happy about them for four or five years at least. I mean, I, I think yeah. it's interesting challenge with the technology of the golf, the golf brands, because they probably argue they want you to buy a seat every year, but I think they owe you to be able to last a few years without feeling like you're miles behind. Yeah. But, but it doesn't matter how good the clubs are. It's still not fixing our essential issue that we've all got. And that is that we're still, we're still the ones swinging the clubs, right. no matter how, yes. no matter how expensive they are. Yeah. Uh, yeah we've still got to actually swing the clubs better than we generally do. Well, I think it's, it's consistency, as you mentioned, Vaughan. I mean, that, that's our issue. And we all know you can play a good round. It's the consistency to actually hit the same swing 80% of the time or however much you need to, to have some confidence in what you're doing. Yep. Yeah. Which actually is, I'm going to, I'm going to dive away from equipment for a second here, boys, because I think the equipment stuff is interesting, but uh we need a sponsor to make this segment really go forward. So keep that in mind, everyone <laughs> listening. Um, it is a good time to talk about our weeks in golf because I've, uh, I've now I've got a couple of interesting things I've spotted this week outside of, of the major tours and including my couple of rounds I played. So uh, I don't mind uh, going first with the two things I've noticed, but I want you guys to also film me on your week in golf, anything that caught your eye. So first thing, and it's a simple one, but I noticed that the, uh, the Aussie PGA, um, and I was always a massive fan as a kid of watching the Australian um, pro tour on a Sunday afternoon in New Zealand. I always felt like they had really good fields and I'm sure COVID's hurt them a little bit because I imagine lots of the top Aussie guys aren't there. But I did find myself watching the uh, Australian PGA and as I mentioned, I, I saw a player called Jediah Morgan um, literally fist pumping like he was in a, uh, a concert through the final uh, nine holes. I think he won by about 11 strokes, which was interesting. So this guy's either a phenom or he had the, 
the round of his life, but he was hooting and hollering like he was at a concert. It was uh, it was quite fun to watch. Um, but I also noticed that they had a uh, a joint women's and men's event playing at the same time. There was a woman in the final group. Um, they were, I don't really understand the format, I only caught the last few holes. I think there was sort of a joint event and they were playing their own events at the same time, but uh, kudos to the Aussies. I think that joint event is good. Um, any thoughts on, on the Aussie? You guys catch any Aussie stuff before I tell you my real major takeaway from the week? I did just see the end of the, um, the Aussie one, yeah, and actually I, I turned it on not really knowing what it was and thought, oh, is that Cam Smith? Because he was a Jediah does, is another Aussie with a mighty moolah, isn't he? So, uh, he is. Yeah, and, but yeah, look, 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 and I really like that, that format, the men's and women's mixed tournament, so I think it's a great idea. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, the thing I really want to discuss this week, and it's a horrible revelation about my golf. I've kind of known it for a while, but it's really, it's really seeped into my mindset now. And I'm not sure how I'm going to break it, but let me just tell you, tell you it, and, and see if you guys have any thoughts. So, I played a couple of rounds this week. I played an okay round at Omaha in '83. Nothing crazy. Got off to a bad start, but pulled it together. But then I went and played Helensville um, with my friend David on Friday afternoon, and. Uh, Despite having some massive traffic issues, it was a big accident on the way south. It took me two hours to get to Helensville. Um, we did play. Um, I drove the ball and I hit the ball off the tee as good as I ever have. I mean, I hit, I worked it out afterwards because I was so convinced it was my best driving round. I hit 12 or 14 fairways and they were big shots. The ball was running a long way on the, the brown turf. Um, and, I, and I think I hit two or four greens. Uh, so I was, let's just say I was roughly like 14 of 18 Decent drives, uh, decent tee shots, maybe even 15 actually, because one of the other ones wasn't too bad on the par threes. I think I made like two parts. Um, I kind of realized that I need chaos in my golf game to, to focus on my shots. Like I'm so used to hitting my seconds from under trees, fairways next door. Like being in the fairway, 90 or 100 yards out from the green, I just panicked. And I panicked over and over and over again. I couldn't decide what swing to make. I mean, I was embarrassing. I mean, it was, to my little defense, it was very brown and dusty. Like, you had placement, but there was no grass to put it on. So it's kind of like fairway bunkers. You had to pick the ball pretty well. And there was, weirdly, there was the greens were very soft, but the surroundings were also soft. So if you kind of landed in front of the green, it bounded over. But if you landed on the two meters in front of the green, it sat right there. So it was kind of a weird day. But I just realized, I guess the, the, the story here is I need chaos in my golf game to know what to do. Like, chaos releases me to play a relaxed second or third shot and i don't know what to do when i'm in the middle of the fairway 100 meters from the hole is that the weird yeah. feeling to have no no uh we, we've discussed this many times we talk about what shots do we not like that's exactly the shots i hate i hate being in the middle of the fairway because there's no excuses there's no excuse if you've hit the ball down the middle of the fairway and you've got a wedge in your hand to not put it on the green because it technically it should be no more difficult but for some reason it is so the answer is really simple Casey you just need to hit least fairways do you, you well I, I normally do so it's not a problem the well, question well, is where we going just I guess get back the question, to fairways. is it in your case because you're a better golfer than I am so I expect you face this problem more than I do but do you do you have a go-to shot because I think my problem is I, I when I'm in the middle of the fairway I have too many options like I don't just have a, I don't just have, oh, I've got to go hit an A9 over the tree and hit it 140 metres. I'm like, oh, I could run this club or I could kind of bounce this one in or I could fly this one and yeah. I just lose context. So 
is it just deciding an approach and saying bugger the course conditions that's the approach i'm going to have i'm not good enough to have three different ideas in my head yes i i think you've nailed it um i'm, I'm not good enough to have a variety of different shots so so kudos to you if you if you can pull off different shots um i can't pull off different shots from 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 that distance i'm hitting it low and i'm trying to get it into to the green regardless of how far out i am um if you've got lots of shots up your sleeve which is wonderful simplify it just simplify it because you probably actually simplify it when you're in the rough and you've got to hit different shots because you've been there so often so what's the difference except for you're in the on the short stuff just find a go-to shot it's a good problem to have i wish i had 12 fairways that'd be awesome well i don't do it too often in fact i don't think i've ever done it again or whatever before i probably won't do it again but it was it was just an interesting i guess an interesting i thought sort of picture of the mental side of my game where I I just couldn't decide how to play approach these and in fairness like playing off that hard stuff it is you do have to pick the ball up remarkably well and I think my natural shot is to loft the ball in high and try to hit it pin high whereas it probably needed to be more of a run shot and so as anytime you're taking something off a swing it's not a hundred it's always a bit hard to get your your hand around but anyway I'm actually okay with the fact that chaos is because I think most of the time I'm going to be in chaos rather than I'm going to be in the fairway so I'm actually I've kind of came to the conclusion that maybe chaos is better than feeling comfortable in the fairways but I had this I had this very conversation with our good friend Chris uh in Queenstown not less than 48 hours ago who was down at the Millbrook uh driving range hitting wedges from 100 meters out because he didn't know how to hit a shot he had actually forgotten how to hit a wedge from 100 metres out from the short stuff. So it's not like it's an uncommon problem. I think maybe you two should get together and have a, have a mental powwow about, uh, about your current issues. But I think everyone's got, got those issues because if you're a really good golfer, you're expecting to hit it really, really close. And if you're a middling golfer, you just want to be, you just want to be in the vicinity. That's that's what you're asking for. You've done. It feels like you've done the hard work. You just want to be in the. You want to be in the mix. You want a twenty foot putt. Is that too much to ask for? Well, is that I think, you're after. I think the other thing is, and maybe I'm beating myself up, but I, I wanted to have this this group therapy session. But perhaps the other thing to consider here is that as golfers, we we're not good enough at this level to to be able to customize our swing per shot. So for whatever I was doing that day that was making me drive the ball really well, which as you guys know is not the strength of my game. Clearly, I was doing something that was allowing me to drive the ball well, and maybe it was a grip change or an angle of my body or I was loose or something like that. It's probably not surprising that some other part of my game breaks down at the same time because, you know, whatever makes the drive work that day is probably the opposite of what normally gives me the nice hands around the green. So I guess it's just a, a fickleness of the game that's bloody hard to glue all those swing thoughts together. Yeah, absolutely. I've got a couple of thoughts on that. So that the, there's probably two issues that I would have from the middle of the fairway, and I'm not there very often. But um, one, one of them is the, the picture I have in my mind, the shot shape I have in my mind generally on, on all shots is, is a gentle kind of left to right draw. So that's what, I'm, that's what I'm seeing. That's the first thing. And secondly, I'm most comfortable playing out of light rough because I don't like tight lies. So, I think that's, I should, for those not listening in New Zealand, I should also clear, I mean, New Zealand does not have penal rough very often, right? Like in New Zealand, often no. rough is nicer than fairways. Yeah. And particularly if you're getting, as you do in New Zealand courses, often a, a placement quite a lot of the year. Hmm. So when I'm, in the, when I'm in the middle of a fairway, to me, that, 
that it immediately indicates a straight shot to the green. And I just don't have, I just don't picture, I just can't picture that shot. I can't picture picking something clearly, cleanly off the turf and hitting it straight. It just doesn't work for me. What what a, what works me in in my mind is is having enough rough that I can slide the club under the ball and hitting hitting this left to right that takes it towards the green. If I've got that, then I'm fine. But without I'm in the middle of the fairway. Often I'm kind of trying to manif- manufacture something to try and get that. And it just doesn't work. You know, I end up turning the club over and hitting something horrible. Strange concept that hitting straight is. is so difficult to see. But I hear yeah. you. Like it's too mm. it's too easy a shot. Mm. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Anyway, thank you for the group ther- group therapy. I think I will go down and hit some wedges from 100. But also, I probably don't need to worry because the next time I'm sure I'll hit two out <laughs> two out of 14 fairways. Just, and, just enjoy it, mate. Yeah. No. It was it was it was interesting. It was one of those days, and we've discussed this once again plenty of times. But I probably had I couldn't actually put the score in because by the time I went to do it on Saturday morning, the digital card had expired. I didn't realise they expired on the day, but. Um, you know, I probably had 85, I think, something like that. And it was one of those days where it was like, sometimes you shoot 85 and you think you've had a decent round, and other days you think you've had a shit round. So I guess it just goes to show that other days when you hit the ball terribly and scramble for six up and downs, you um, you know, you probably kid yourself that you played well. But anyway, that's enough about my week in golf. How about you boys? Anything that came up from your uh, weeks in golf you want to discuss? Go, Grant. Oh, okay. Uh, uh, i tell you what, I am missing the LPGA. That's that's that was my thing for this week. As I'm really, I want to see women's golf. I'm missing seeing Lydia play. Feels like months and months and months since I've seen um, anything on that particular tour. Now I think they might start next week, and I certainly hope they do because I'm just we've missing it. A, we've got a bumper weekend coming up actually because we've got uh, well the PGA is probably the PGA Tour is probably the, the worst of them. It's that it's that one out in Palm Springs, which is. Oh, the American you know, Express. The American Express, which is okay. Um, but, the, yeah, the, the, the women are playing, the seniors are playing in Hawaii, Corn Ferry starts, and the DP World Tour is in Dubai. So we've got, yeah, about five Excellent. times over the weekend. So, yep. Excellent. Um, plenty of content for next week. Plenty of content for next week. And That's it for me. I've got nothing exciting to report <laughs> on my golf game. No, there's Literally nothing. No. nothing. Exactly. No, it's just it's just the same old, same old. I keep threatening to go and get another lesson, um, but it hasn't quite happened yet, so we'll see. I did um, I did have to do... Um, so Rick, our friend Rick, uh, who, you, who you know, uh, Grant, and you'll know him too, actually. Um, here we're going on the uh, my 40th birthday trip. So you'll meet him too, Vaughan. But uh, he got a handicap during the week. We got him a Hut Park handicap. So I ended up having... For some reason, I was reading the, all the rules of handicaps, and... One thing I did not realise, and this is, I'm not bringing this up to have a shot at you, Grant, because this is not relevant to, uh, to you in particular, but your handicap can only go out five shots in a year. Something like that, yeah, yeah. So I must be getting towards that point. Of re- <laughs> I'm about to say, so the yeah, dream yeah. to actually think, get up, the dream no, to get up to your 18 oh, or was, something, you can't. Yeah. No, no, it was, uh, yeah, exactly. So I think, I've, I think I've gone from like, 12.4 to 16.4 or something. Because so I said at three, so at, at three shots, mm-hmm. it basically slows down. So you can it basically, you know, yep. three to five will take terrible yep. golf. So, yeah, yeah. So I, I did notice our good friend Vaughan's handicap is going up slightly in preparation of a Queenstown, just a slight padding of the handicap yeah. as they're going on there, Vaughan. No, I'm just not playing very good, to be honest. Uh, I just, if we're talking about golf therapy, I play 12 good holes every round and 12 rounds of par or under par golf, like really good golf. And then 
I'll do something stupid. And I, I don't blame any golf course. It's always the person with the clubs in his hands. And I'll do something really stupid. And I don't normally let this, but in recent times, it's been really getting to me. And then I'm letting it hold on to me for three or four holes. And I'm blowing, blowing those four or five holes out tremendously. So, no, it's just poor golf from the, the guy holding, holding the clubs. So, yep. yeah. And on the, on the same, I'm playing... I'm playing some good holes, but it's just the bad holes are bad. And the good, yeah, the good holes, there's, there's a few more good holes each time. And it's, I feel like I'm kind of partway there, but it's just the bad holes. Once I get on a run of them, I can't get off them. So, yep. Having said that, on, on last Wednesday, I did hit probably the longest drive possibly ever hit in my life. Um, wind and hard ground and hill assisted, but I measured it out at exactly 300 metres on my GPS. Which, uh, which hole ground? Uh, that was the 12th at Pukuki. Oh, down the, the hill? From, you you, from the you white, got off. From the white, white tee, so bounced it over the hill and then ran yes. across way down the fairway. Yeah, so that was, that was quite nice. Well, if all yeah. else fails, you want to be a big bomber, mate. That's, that's yeah, what that exactly. is. <laughs> um, right, moving on, moving on. A few more sections to cover. So we, we talked about we're going to do a little course review each week. So just quickly, we've... Um, we decided as a group to discuss, it's one from the vault, because we haven't actually been there for a while. You might have been there, Vaughan, but during COVID, myself and Grant have not been there. But this week's course for review is Terrace Downs, uh, down in rural Canterbury. Um, I believe it's been open probably the best part of, what, 30 years now. It's got a bit of inter interesting history with a few different uh, owners who have sort of owned it for different reasons. I guess it is a, a technically a golf resort, but it's an alpine golf resort, which is a kind of a tricky, a tricky sort of business to understand in New Zealand. But... Got some nice accommodation, which we've been lucky enough to stay in on site. And uh, generally speaking, it's a it's a really playable golf course. So, um, look, just in terms of review, as always, I want a bit of feedback. What you guys, what you can sort of what you think of it in terms of comparable courses in New Zealand. I suppose how you enjoyed your round at Terrace Downs. Anything that stood out? Some of the vistas at Terrace Downs are wonderful. That par three on the I think it's either late in the front nine or. Um, early in the in the back nine, which looks over the Rakaia Gorge. That yes. is an awesome, awesome vista. Um, and then I think the hole after that's an almost drivable par four. Those two holes are the two that always stand out to me. Um, it's, yeah, it's just in a great piece of land. And I think that's what all golf courses have, is that they've carved it out of a, a, a nice piece of land and they've used what's naturally there and just added to or just or slightly taken away from. Comparable golf courses. That's a good question. I I can't answer that to you, for you right now. I'm 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 now racking my my brain. To I'm gonna comparable. Golf I'm course. gonna tell you a course that I think it compares to, and this is sort of pre-renovations, pre-making it better. But I think the original Millbrook was actually quite a letdown. Like Ooh. it was sort of early stage resort course, but it was actually a very plain course. And to be fair, you still. If you play, it'll be the remarkable eighteen. Right, a lot of that is the original Millbrook. It's not that amazing like it's kind of a good solid resort course it's fun to play interesting holes but it's not that necessarily incredible I think it's a little bit like that it's resort course which is fun to play but probably doesn't deserve if it was a club course and it was just called you know Bottle Lake um, I don't think it would necessarily <laughs> if it wasn't where it was I don't think of course the holes itself are that interesting I think the fact that it's an alpine scenario it's, it's got a couple of interesting holes I think 10 and 11 around the water um, that kind of back nine area where the, the holes go sort of back and forth over that kind of weird 
it's almost like a lake that's dry, but sort of you have to, it's like a hazard, but you can go in there and play your balls. That's kind of a, an interesting spot. I mean, we, the day we played Grant was a very windy day. In fact, they shut the course in the afternoon. We weren't allowed to play the second round, but uh, is that the only time you've been there? No, I had played it once previous to that, um, and it had changed quite a lot, actually. Though The first time I played those holes you mentioned where, where you're playing sort of a, they have almost like canyons in between them. Yes. Um, but you can go down and click the ball. That was quite a lot more of a hazard the first time I played than, than when we went. Um, and I actually felt, I actually thought it was much more playable the second time, actually. Yes. Um, but, yeah, that, that's probably the, the wind down there because it is quite exposed. It's quite an Very. exposed course. Um, so, the, yeah, the wind is a definite factor. Um, that par three, funnily enough, I've, is um, there's a photo of, there's a terrace down sign that sits right next to the tee there and it's, and, and you look across to the Southern yes. Alps. Um, and that's actually the, the photo I have on the, my screensaver for my work computer. So I, I look at that view daily. Um, I just really enjoyed it, actually. It's just a really playable, it's probably one of the more playable resort-style courses that I've ever been to, actually. Um, I, would, I would say, I'd put, it's certainly far more playable than, than like, say, your Wairakis, your Kinlocks, your, your Kidnappers, or um, that sort of thing. So, you yeah, know, I really enjoyed it. it it's, a, it's well worth the trip. Yeah, it's got something that I really love about golf courses, and that's starting with a par five and ending with a par five, because it always feels, and they're both, they're not easy holes, but they're gettable holes. I really like that you have a chance to make birdie to begin and end your round. Yep. And not many golf courses have that, so I do like that. Um, and the town that it's closest to will probably give you a fairly good indication of why there's a lot of wind, because this closest town is called Wind Whistle. It is bloody windy out there. Yeah, I think what last thing I'll say about it is I think that it, what what I like about it and the reason I think it's a it's a must play. It's probably I'd say it's in the top twenty, maybe towards the bottom end of the top twenty in New Zealand, but it's different. You know, we don't have a lot of alpine golf courses of that standard. We have none of that standard. But <coughs> a little bit like Tiki last week, I think you want to go and see courses that are different. You want to go experience golf in different environments. It is different. It's it's sort of a Parkland slash Links course up in Alpine New Zealand, but if once you've been there, you've, you've played something unique. And so for that reason, I think it's good value. And from memory, I'm not sure what the rates are right now. They probably aren't too dear given COVID, but it's generally a pretty fair, well-priced course. So no, I, I certainly think it's, it's well worth the trip. Um, right. Another section that we, uh, we might talk about this week, because it depends if any of us remember to do this. So if we didn't remember to do it this week, we might just delete this from the podcast, but Bets of the week. We are going to place some bets each week and tell you how we went. In fact, we're going to tell you before we place the bets on a Thursday what those bets are. Now, I forgot to place bets this week. Did you guys place bets? Oh, yes. Yes, I did. My boy, Keith Mitchell, like I said, just keeps paying the mortgage for me. Uh, I did back him for uh, top 40, top 20, top 10, and top 5. Um, and he finished seventh, so got a solid wee three payouts. And my tip last week in our... Uh, in my little section was to back Kevin Kisner and he did finish third might not have got the W but he did do okay and yes I do have some tips for this week and one of them is bloody boring but Patrick Cantlay is probably going to win this week he's not paying a hell of a lot of money but there's a good reason for that he's really good um, so looking for some value and I have found some value out there for, for anybody that wants to have a punt Grayson Sig Grayson said, you don't even, yeah, I, I can see the boys' faces and they're going, who the hell are you even talking about? Uh, he was second on the Corn Ferry Tour last year. 
He is good. Have it, check out his profile pick. That's all you need to know and uh, get some money on him. He might not win, but he's going to maybe top 40, top 20. And he's paying some pretty good money. So get him to Grayson Sig. And I see, that the, it is. I see that that Corn Ferry started today, which is an odd time for it to start, mate, on a, yeah, on a Sunday, which is well, Sunday in the States, which is weird. Down in the, no, down I think they, Bahamas, so. they made a conscious effort, I think, to run quite a few of their events off the same schedule as the PGA, because ah, I guess it right. gives them almost a full week of coverage, because they'll finish right. on a Wednesday yeah. and the PGA starts on Thursday. So okay. it was actually a conscious decision. Not all of them. I think some of the, um, the earlier events in the year, just to give them mm. a week to basically seven-day week off. Mm. Mm, potentially not a potentially not a, not a bad idea. No, yeah, I'm sure otherwise that, it, otherwise yeah, it's just competing head to head. Mm. Especially this time of year when there's like NFL and stuff on, that's you know, it's already hard enough sell as it is. So, yeah, no, very smart. So, I, so I don't know about you boys, but I've 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 been looking through these fields, and I, I've decided this year I'm going to follow a couple of couple of different people. One on couple of kind of unknowns, one on the European tour and one on the on the Corn Ferry. Just guys who I've read a little bit about and seen seen a little bit of that interest me. So I'm just going to kind of follow them. I'll, I'll just flag them up for you. There's a guy playing on the Corn Ferry called Akshay Batea. I don't know if you've seen him or not. I think he've, I think he might have. He's, he's American, but maybe with some Indian heritage. Um, big hitter. Tall, yes. tall, thin, big hitter. To left, yep. left high school at 17, didn't go to college, turned pro, and it's kind of had his... Had a few struggles, but has now got his full card on the Corn Ferry. And um, yeah, he, the man, he's left-hander, so obviously it appeals. And man, the guy can hit it. Um, currently 917 in the world golf rankings, but I would expect to see him, if he, if he can get a decent run on the Corn Ferry, lift that quite big. And there's a guy, um, another big hitter on the European tour, and I think he might have a start this weekend by the name of Wilco Neighbor. Who yep. again? He's a guy. If you get a chance, if, you, if he's anywhere near the leaderboard, have a look on TV because man, can this guy hit the ball? He 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 puts Bryson to shame how far he hits it. So yeah, well worth a look. I like that. What about you, Vaughan? Got an outsider you you think we should follow for the year? Uh, I, I actually would have said uh, my boy Sig. To be honest, um, I think he's, he's gone be mainstream. Really good. He's gone mainstream. Yeah. Uh, Geez, I'm picking a real, real favourite at just 157 in the world. Um, I don't know. There's a guy on the Corn Ferry Tour called John Pack. He looks Ooh. quite good. Uh, I reckon he's probably worth a follow. Um, and if you want an amateur, have you seen this guy from Japan that they're saying is potentially the new Dustin Johnson, Keita Nakajima? No, he played. He played this week. He's. I'm pretty sure he's playing all the majors. If not, he's playing definitely three of them. Um, and he wants, yeah, I think that they're saying he's the next big Japanese star. Check him out. Keita Nakajima. He might be a guy to, to watch as well. Well, uh, my guy to watch is John Organstein. So he has played a little bit on the PGA Tour, but he's back on the Corn Ferry Tour this year. He actually struggled horribly on the PGA Tour. and He was sort of a highly ranked amateur, came through all the, the college systems, did well with the US amateurs, kind of sucked on the PGA Tour since he's sort of the few events, I'm sure the sponsors exemptions. Still ranked, I think, 460th in the world approximately. So he's got a long way to go. But what I've read and what I've seen, it sort of he's 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 taken his lickings, uh, lickings, taken his licks. That probably doesn't come out quite right, does it? His lickings, um, and hopefully he comes back and uh, and has a good year. So John Augustine. So look with it. Let's, let's review this at the end of the year and see if any of these guys are uh, top of the pop. So hey, a couple of minutes to go in today's podcast, and as always, I've got a few uh, fun questions to end on some. Some would you rather's. So I've I've lucked into a number of would you rather questions. I'm going to fire three or four at you and uh, 
see where you'd stand on these. So first, would you rather to finish on? Now you have to you have to apply your own kind of mindset to this question because we're obviously all at slightly different levels. So the question is though, was posed to us is, would you rather shoot a 67 on the first day of spring? So lovely first day of golf, you're basically shooting an amazing score. Now for me and you, Grant, let's say we break par, and you might shoot a 65, something like that. So a great score. Or would you win a thousand dollar lottery the same day while shooting a 90? So you've had a you had a terrible oh. golf game, but you've won a thousand bucks. Or you've had a really good game. You haven't won anything. You've just you've probably had your career best round. Let's say you've shot a 70 or whatever your career best is on a 65. What would you do? Um, man, you can always find $1,000, but you can't find a career best day on playing golf. That That's going to last a lifetime. So no brain. I'll take the career low. Thanks. You read my mind. 100% the career low. Yeah, I agree. Career low. I think, well, there is a number. I, I don't think it's $1,000. Oh, yeah. No, it's oh, yeah, yeah. there's That's a number. The thing for me is, there's yeah, a number, yeah. but it's not 1000 bucks. No. Yeah. No. Yeah. Fair enough. Okay. Second, would you rather you hit your best drive? So, in, you know, let's say it could be a 300-meter one you just hit, Grant, but let's just say it's your best drive. Um, to the centre of the fairway every time you tee off from now on, or would you rather hold every putt from inside 10 feet from now on? Well, having just described what I'm like from the centre of the fairway, I don't think that's going to work for me really. So maybe yes. as much as I'd like to like to hit the bombs all the time, I'll, I'll probably go with the ten foot putts. Oh, yeah, I'm going with ten foot putts, but it seems like the cop out answer. To it does, honest. eh? I know because I really, I really want to say bombing it down the middle because that's that's so much more exciting. Uh, I'm changing. I'm flip flopping. I'm going with I'm going with the bomb. I'm t- I'm taking the bomb down the middle. Now, despite just saying that I can't hit from the middle of the fairway, I'm going with the bomb because I'm going to back myself to learn how to hit a little 80-meter flip wedge, um, and I'm going to have birdies and eagle putts. It's going to be a lot of fun. People are going to think that's a yeah. People are even they talk about uh, putting for uh, or driving for uh, show and putting for dough. Everyone remembers the guy that outdrives them. So I'm going to go with driving. I think until I'm good enough to actually play professionally or win awards, I'm going to be the guy that just smokes it and in the middle of the fairway and I'll, I'll back myself to learn the rest even though technically your answer grant is by far the better one yeah yeah <coughs> I'm, the, I'm the man who's desperately trying to keep his handicap under 20 <laughs> by the, yeah true okay this this i thought was a good one so would you rather get to choose your three playing partners but be assigned to play 36 holes in one day on a completely random golf course so you've got to assume it could be a bad one or get to play 36 holes at the course of your choosing with three completely randomly chosen playing partners? Oh, I'd, I'd, take the, I'd take the first option, playing with, playing with my mates anywhere that's assigned. Just to me, it's the, the company and the banter among, with your mates is as big a part of, of the golfers as anything. I mean... In, Unless it was Augusta or St Andrews or something. Again, well, there's, there's, this a, there's is, a number. There's a there number. Yes, there is. I guess you have to assume that, 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 you know, there is a good course. I mean, I, you know, that's the problem because I'm a gambler, right? So the fact that that randomly chosen course um, could be quite shit. I mean, that, it could be okay. Like, but imagine if the course I got to choose was Augusta. So, so, yeah, so if, if you're saying there was the opportunity, there was the possibility that, that if you, you might get Augusta or Bottle Lake. Well, the, the, <laughs> wait, whoa, whoa, way out, way out there. Come on now. 
They no, deserve the to be in similar company, but I know where you're going with that, Grant. The course, the question does say, do you get to play 36 holes in the course of your choosing? So let's say yeah. the course of your choosing is Augusta. Does that change it? Well, the, oh, well then, yeah. Then, then if you're playing, would I take the option then? Yeah, absolutely. I'd play with randoms. I mean, I don't have any problem playing with strangers. That's no problem. No. But at all. And if it was Augusta, then yeah, every day. No, I, I agree. If the question is you can pick your course, then yeah. then yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Vaughan? Well, I mean, it depends how many caveats there are on this particular question. If you can pick your course anywhere on the planet, well, then I'm probably going to go with that because, I mean, yeah, Augusta or St Andrews, you can't turn that down, can you? But if they're out of the mix, then I'm going with my mates because that's what golf's about. Okay, three more to go. Would you rather learn to play with your opposite hand so you can play righty and lefty as good as you play right now now let's just for the sake of caveat say kind of theoretically as good as you can play now maybe not exactly how you're playing right now so let's just say kind of handicaps you're at or improve five shots but just with your your natural hand so do you think it'll be cool to be good be able to play with both hands kind of reasonably well oh, it'd be cool but you're giving me five shots on my current golf game. I'll take that every day of the week. Thank you very much. Yeah, I'm the same. I'm the same. I'm not good enough right-handed to want to play the same left-handed. That would just be stupid. It's just a cool story, but it doesn't yeah. really make your golf game any better. So I'm so I'm the opposite. I'm I'm immediately taking that option. I'm, I'm gonna, if, you're, if you're saying to me, you can you can now play approximately. You know, let's say 95% as well right-handed as you can left-handed. I'm absolutely taking that because I what what it means is tomorrow I, I walk into the golf shorts, golf store and I've gone <laughs> and I've gone from having 10% of the stock if I'm lucky to choose from to, to 90% of the stock. So oh, yeah. that's brilliant. That's so, actually I mean, a good answer. That's yeah, a good answer. So, yeah, it's like saying right. to me that's like saying you know you can have two left feet or one left foot and one right foot sort of thing. You know. Now, you mean you, you've had hole-in-ones. You've had sort of one and a half fawn, and Grant, you've had one. Would you rather hole out from the fairway twice per year for Eagle for the rest of your life but never get a hole-in-one or get a hole-in-one at the par three of your choice from the next year but never make another Eagle again? So I'm going to ask this in your current state as having had a hole-in-one, but I want to ask would the answer be different if you hadn't had a hole-in-one? Well, I'd take the Eagles because I have had the hole in one, and yes. and, what, and um, if I hadn't had one, I'd probably still take the Eagles because, like, yeah, it's a great feeling, and it, and you can say you've had one, but I don't know, I, I, it's not that big of a deal, really. Mm, haven't had two hole in ones, not one and a half, <laughs> uh, is quite good. Um, oh man. Uh, I'd take the hole-in-ones because that's where the prestige is. But, yeah, overall, over the rest of my life, you'd be pretty excited with some hole-outs. Um, but, yeah, I'm going to go the hole-in-one. Yeah, having not had a hole-in-one, I'd, I'd go for the hole-in-one. I mean, I've only had, I think, I was trying to work out the other day, it's either four or five eagles in my life. So uh, it's not like they're happening that regularly. And I mean, yeah, it'd be cool to hole-out twice a year, but I feel like you tell someone you make an eagle with a hole-out, Versus telling someone you had a hole in one, which is the same thing. The hole in one is what they know. So I'm I'm saying hole in one. So interesting supplementary question to that. If you knew that you were going to have two hole outs for eagle in a year, you knew guaranteed, but you didn't know when. Would that change the way you played shots into those holes, knowing that at some stage guaranteed that 
this you know that two two of them throughout the year are going to go in? That's a good question. That's a good question. That's a good I question. Because let's face it, often we we will probably stand there now, and it's never even in our head, is what we think. It's not what we're thinking at all. Well, oh, my yeah. mindset is to always fire at the pin. Now, right. it may well never ever may well never ever go anywhere near it. But my mindset is is that I'm trying to hit it as close as I can because I play golf to try and make birdies and eagles. And if you make bogeys and doubles, well, that's just the way it is. So I don't think it changed my mindset. But if if you added another caveat of I was trying that I could potentially one of them could be an albatross on a par five, well, then, yes, I probably would start playing differently. But, yeah, I'm, I, I want to fire at every pin if I humanly can, which is why I make so many mistakes. Is a fair point? If someone made an albatross at a course, which happens probably never, you know, very rarely, but they don't get to go on the whole of one board, but they've had a greater achievement, I feel like it's a, they're a little bit robbed. Yep, I would. Would you swap a hole in one out for an albatross? Then? That is a good question. If you didn't have a hole in one and you didn't have an albatross and you were offered one, which one would you take? I think I'd take a hole in one. Is it because you just want the name on the board? And it's a better story. I think it's a better story for the for the pub for your friends who aren't golfers. For everyone, like you say to someone, I had a two. It's sort of like, like I mean, obviously a non-golfer is going to realise that that was a much better shot, probably. But a hole yep. in one is just that thing that everyone understands. Mm, interesting. So I think no, I would I'll... take a hole in one over an albatross, Grant. Yeah, I probably would. I, I... I've always kind of thought that the thing with the albatross is probably there's, it's, there's more of a fluke factor involved in it. I mean, I, you, stand, you stand on a par three. In theory, you're aiming to get the ball in the hole, aren't you? But can you honestly say on every par five when you're hitting your second shot, even if you're going for the green, the idea you're actually trying to hole out or are you just trying to get on the green? I'm trying to get, I'm trying to get close-ish. Yeah. But yeah. To give you some, yeah. yeah. So, yeah. I mean, they're both amazing achievements and I'd be happy with either. I've got one. I've got one out of the two. I, I can't ever see myself getting the other one, but you never know. It'd be nice to hear. Yeah, I want the yeah. albatross. I, I, in all honesty, I'd take the albatross over the hole in one because I just think it's harder to do. Mm. I think I think that a hole in one is realistic every time you tee it up on a par three. I, you've got a chance. Mm. The chance of making an albatross is just so slim, and I don't know what the mathematical odds are of both, but it feels like it's a hell of a lot more. Well, you've got to play a better shot, don't you? You've, you've, you've got to. We're going to play two great shots. Yeah, that's right. And there's a distance involved to get it to get it onto the green and, and put yeah. it in the hole. I mean, a par par three is really there's the opportunity there for anybody from a one to a fifty handicapper to to hit you know whatever club it might be from from nine iron to driver to get it on the green. And then once it's on the green, it's got a chance of going in. But that's you can't say that with an albatross. Yeah, I mean, I want, I'd love to know. And again, impossible to tell, but how many hole in ones come from hitting the perfect shot as opposed to a dirty, a dirty old runner that just goes up and rolls into the front of the cup? I'd, I'd love to well, know. Were either of your two perfect shots? Well, Casey was there for one of them. It was a pretty good shot. I wouldn't say it was a perfect shot, but I well, had a very good shot. Can I, yeah, but to, to, to elaborate on that, it was probably what? But it wasn't it perfect. About? You hit it probably three meters right to the pin, and it spun sort of left at the hole and went in. Now, yep. is he, are we good enough golfers to predict that a hill 
the first time you played wide, no, he's going to spit it left. I mean, I would say no. no. So, so if you had told me I'm going to hit it three meters left and spin it at the hole, then I'd, I'd be like, this is crazy. This is the best shot I've ever seen. Um, yeah. Did you hit a good shot? Yes. That any of us good enough to know it's going to react like that to the green? No way. So, no. Is it is it a good shot with a heavy quota of luck? Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, have, have any of us ever hit the perfect shot at any point in our life? <laughs> yeah. Well, I think the perfect shot, I mean, is the one that you design. If you're going for the pin and it sits, I guess it goes in the hole, but it sits a metre away and it actually hasn't taken a funny hop. It hasn't, it's just, it's done exactly. And you're the only person that can honestly say, did you design the shot to look like the way it looked? And now I'd say I've hit plenty of perfect shots. I mean, in the sense mm. that I've designed, I mean, it doesn't happen a lot, but I can think of some recently where I'm like, I've designed in my head a little drawer or whatever that's ended up next to the pin. I'm like, golf was easy for that one second of my life. <laughs> and it's, now, do I know, did I design it like that? Did I execute it? Did I get lucky? I mean, I suppose these are the questions, but I do think there's times I've had in my mind a perfect shot. Yeah. Yep. And the problem is just getting us all to replicate it enough yeah. times over the course of a round and a year and a lifetime. Yep. Well, so well, I guess yep, the question agreed. is, did I hit the perfect shot? Did I get the perfect result? Yep. I mean, this is this is the question that we're not really sure about as amateurs to know whether we designed everything correctly or not. Um, They're the shots that bring you back each time, aren't they? They are. Yep. You, only, you only need one of them every so often. Yep. Right. We're going to wrap it up, man. I have many more would-you-rathers, but we'll save some for next week. So, uh, look, get our golf picks in, our, uh, our gambling picks before the week. We'll post them on our social media channels. Um, as always, everyone, thank you for uh, for listening in, seeing any questions our way, and we will see you next week. Have a good week in golf, everybody. Thanks, guys. All right, boys. All right, Have a good nice. week. See, see you. Later.